there we go um it's not even an episode this one it's our little uh, mini ramadan series again so hello everyone we're back again for our uh, ramadan series that we have uh, planned in in what a couple of months before ramadan in april so we're looking forward to doing this and again we're getting um some of our favorite guests on from previous podcasts on so it's going to be good to see how um this comes about so this is our uh, mini series called my footballing villain or ramadan villains that we'll have as a hashtag because <laughs> last last year we had um ramadan heroes which was quite fun and quite successful actually a lot of people like that series and it's quite fun and um we've we've done things with other with other podcasters when they talk about their heroes and their villains as well but i thought why don't we put our own little spiel on it so i've invited back ollie my friend from vietnam or who lives in vietnam ollie how are we doing today it's good to see you. i've missed you and like i just said it's like it feels like forever but it's good to see you back again you okay yeah man all good uh it's been busy time of new year but like, happy to be back on and uh yeah happy ramadan to anyone who's listening any special like phrase i can say to wish someone a happy ramadan it's cool it's it's like ramadan mubarak so it's like mm. mubarak um is the way of like saying like congratulations on ramadan and enjoy your ramadan type of thing as well so ramadan mubarak to everyone uh listening hopefully it's a good ramadan, ramadan. mubarak yes and hopefully I'll be, I'll, I'll be listening back to this thinking, oh, God, why, why am I in such a chirpy mood? And then when I'm fasting, I'll be all groggy and tired and exhausted like I always am. But it is what it is. <laughs> we do what we need to do um, for our religion and stuff. So it's all good. Um, but no, last year we had, um, we had a very positive little mini series in Ramadan about my footballing hero and, and what, kind of benefits, um, what kind of benefits each and every one of us during Ramadan and help, and help him going forward as well. But Ramadan is a time of year when uh, a lot of Muslims try and better themselves and they want to do better for themselves for the year ahead coming forward as well. So it means like um, cutting out a lot of uh, things that like uh, put them in a negative way or like people find like for me, for example, I don't particularly listen to music and I feel like listening to music puts me in a negative mind state. For some Muslim people, it's like watching TV. Um, for some people, it's not exercising because they feel groggy. Or, and it's, there's so many things that they can do as well. Um, but realistically, everyone has their own things of what they like and what they don't like. So um, I'm doing something that I know for a fact that a lot of people will enjoy more than what we did last year because it's, it's a my footballing hero. It's going to be called uh, our Ramadan villains. So we've got uh, we're going to be talking about three villains each and how they've affected us as football fans against our football team. And <laughs> realistically speaking. Um, how they just continue to torment us during the, during their time in rather the Premier League or the Champions League, Europa League, however it was as well. So um, first things first, I'll start us off. There's there's quite a few I want to talk about, but there's going to be one major one that I'll be talking about for um, every every podcast. And for you, Oli, I'm going to start with someone who I know has tormented you as much as he has tormented me as a Manchester Go on, fan. Say the name. Who is it? Sergio Cud Aguero. <laughs> oh, Mr. Hattrick, Mr. Hattrick. <laughs> this guy, man. Um, first of all, Sergio Guerrero retired earlier this year, no, uh, uh, late last year in 2021, at the time speaking, due to a, yes. a cardiovascular condition. So it's very sad to see how he went out because he was a legend of the game and he's probably in the top three um, best uh, foreign strikers in the Premier League history, I would yeah. say. Um, it would have been a real nice uh, fairy tale, might I add, that if uh, he actually won the Champions League before he left and took it off Chelsea. 
that would have been a nicer fairy tale ending for him in his Premier League tale. It would have been insane because he, he deserved it in the way. And it was something that I would have loved to have seen uh, Manchester United do in terms of signing him as well, because there was a time when Manchester United were interested in him before Manchester City. So starting from the very beginning around 2009, 2010, when he was captain of Atletico Madrid, you're just kind of thinking this guy's bagging 24 goals. He's got 12, 13 assists. He's got Diego Forlan as a strike partner as well. Um, what more What more can you kind of ask for in terms of a striker as well? And we're kind of looking at it thinking, we had Wayne Rooney at the time, but Sir Alex Ferguson wasn't really big on signing strikers because he liked going for those little niche strikers like Javier Hernandez or um, Danny Welbeck and Michael Owen as well. Um, at the time, we just recently spent 30 million on Dimitar Berbatov from Tottenham yeah, Hotspur as well. It was a great player, but it was, it was a year or two too early for sorry, Ferguson to make a decision because yeah. I believe it's one of those big what if moments. If Man United actually went in for a proper bid um, of Sergio Aguero, because this again was the time when we lost Ronaldo, so we lost his 40 goals a season, we lost his 15 16 assists in the season as well. Mm-hmm. So we needed someone to help Wayne Rooney um, kind of replace that, and the likes of Nani Valencia. and Jason Park did it, uh, but they didn't do it to the same level. And unfortunately, we didn't win the league um, for another year or two until Hernandez came in. So, but Sir Alex Ferguson was better at that kind of thing in terms of scouting from um, these little unknown countries like Mexico. And we didn't really have many Mexicans in the Premier League at the time as well. But for me, I, it was a no-brainer. Um, again, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But realistically speaking, Oli, do you reckon if Sergio Aguero had signed for Manchester United, he would have had that same career like he did at Manchester City? Yeah, I was just going to ask the same question. Would he have slapped the way he slapped at sea? I don't think um, he would. I personally don't think he would either. I feel like uh, maybe there would have been some problems with rotation, you know. Anything mm. could have happened. I, I honestly think uh, Aguero to sea was just like the biggest fairy tale for like, that football club. So uh, for him to go into Man United where he wasn't instantly a hero, you know, he didn't come in with like a the big mentality, like how would he have fared in the dressing room? Yeah, lots of lots of factors to consider. So, yeah, I don't think he, he personally would have slapped at, at Man United, but mm. he is quality, so you never know. Yeah, and again, going forward on his quality, he signed for Manchester City just after they won the FA Cup as well. So is in that season where Roberto Mancini had recruited heavily. So they had a strike force of Mario Balotelli, Edin Dzeko, Carlos Tevez, and Sergio Aguero and when you have a strike force and you don't really see that nowadays of four out and out strikers in, in this day and age of the Premier League when you can rotate and you still have another bagsman on the on the bench as well yeah. you can rotate Dzeko for Tevez you can do this for Balotelli and you're just there thinking this is crazy as well but realistically speaking that went when Man United played against Manchester City in that first season when he was in at home and we lost 6-1 6-1 at home <laughs> Mad. it's but- like End of end of an era, start of a new one. <laughs> that was Great. when everyone was singing Blue Moon Rising, the new era starting in Manchester, and Man United fans were like, Oh yeah, no, you'll you'll have your moment, it's fine, but we'll we'll um we'll get over it and we'll continue further on down the line. Didn't it's not happen. happen. <laughs> Man United slipped up a lead at the end of that season, and um realistically yeah, speaking, yeah. we should have won against Everton. We should have done better. Um, we could go through all of the games in that season where we lost on goal difference, but that game against Everton, I think we were 4-2 up with 10 minutes to go at Old Trafford. <laughs> oh, man. Bottle job. I want to laugh. 
I, I want to laugh, but I spoke Spurs. So <laughs> I'm chuckling, but I can't actually laugh at that. Now nah, you're allowed to laugh. You're allowed to laugh at our misdemeanors. It's okay. Um, <laughs> but no, realistically speaking, that was when um, the, turn, the the tide started to turn because obviously in the final game of the season, Manchester United beat Sunderland at the Stadium of Light. And then there's that ever-famous scene of Sir Alex Ferguson waiting for the news from um, the Etihad Stadium from, to see what happened with Manchester City yeah. and QPR. And at the time of speaking, it was 2-2. Two, two. <laughs> I, I get PTSD from that Aguero moment. Oh, my days. It's like even when people scream out of FIFA, I'm like, no, no. You did not welcome that shout. <laughs> nah, I, I remember where I was as well. Basically, I was at my uncle's house um, uh, down the road from where I was living as well. So it was cool. It was at two two, and I was I was something I was I was tweeting like everything when I was big on Twitter at the time. I'm just there like it can't happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Joey Barton didn't hit Aguero um, hard enough to get sent off. And then what happens? <laughs> Balotelli sets off Aguero and pandemonium. Nah, that's uh, crazy. That's when the world Absolutely. took notice of Manchester City. And I think that's, in fact, uh, great, great respect to Roberto Mancini for the way that he conducted himself that Absolutely, season. Yeah. But Aguero with that shining moment, Edin Dzeko always gets forgotten about because he scored that equaliser. And Zabaleta scored that first. <laughs> Who? Who? So, Edin? He's at Inter Milan yeah. these days. But no, Edin Dzeko did really well to get that equalising goal. And QPR yeah. hung on for as long as they did. But you can never fault QPR because Man United should have won that, that season as well. So that's one of my... Um, that's one of my Aguero has given us so much grief over the years but that's the, that's the one that will definitely stand out for the most time because season after season after season after season one of his favourite uh, top six clubs to score against was Manchester United so yeah, I mean he was a nightmare against us as well I feel he was always uh, getting on the score sheet if I, if I remember correctly I'd like to see the stats of how many he's, he's put past the Spurs goalkeepers in the past <laughs> Because do you remember a moment when you were watching Sergio Aguero and he, and he didn't get past you or you were thinking, you know what, we've got him on the leash and then he ends up getting past you at like the 80th minute or something like that? Do you, do you remember no, that? Yeah. He, he's evasive. Like, he, he would just pop up anywhere and, and grab a goal. You know, you, I, I'd never say you, you ever have him on lock. Hmm. I feel like he's, yeah, he gets about the pitch, always popping up in the right place. Nah. Yeah, he was one that's must have scored a lot against them. <laughs> yeah, I remember one when it was like 4-1. I think they beat you at home. No, they, they were at home. Not they were at home. Man City were at home and uh, it was like 2014-2015 and Aguero scored four. Mm. And you're just there kind of thinking, this guy is just ridiculous. Like he scores four against you. I think you had a red card in that game as well. And you're just there kind of thinking, this is, this is Manchester City and this is how they're doing it as well. It's, it's a time when they were champions as well. So they just finished off being champions for the second time. They won in 2014 after Gerard slipped up. Got, got to mention that as well um, <laughs> when Gerard slipped up. But it was uh, Roberto Mancini was no longer manager. It was Pellegrini in his second season at Manchester City as well. And you're just there kind of thinking, even under a different manager, he's still kind of doing it for them. They're still uh, playing to his strengths as well. Yeah. And still getting different types of goals. And it was, it was crazy to see how, how well he did. Which was, which yeah, was incredible. Where it was... He was there, yeah. He was there for all the managers scoring goals. And uh, it's annoying, but as well, because, you know, Man City were, they were below us by the time they started getting their funding in uh, mm-hmm. by quite a lot, I feel. And then instantly they were at our level. And uh, we did get the better of them to, to, to begin with. But 
you know, they invested in a, a young Aguero. He was the centerpiece of that team for years to come. And uh, they just um, have miles ahead of Spurs now. And it's, it's players like Aguero that they have to thank, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think he's a, he's a real good villain. Good choice for the Ramadan villain. <laughs> I, w- I want to talk to you before we move on to your first villain, just about that game, uh, Man City versus Spurs, quarterfinal, second leg at the Etihad Stadium in April 2019. Because he scored in that game as well. It was a 4-3 finish and uh, it was one of the best Champions League games I've ever had the pleasure of seeing as well. And do you remember what it was like when you're watching that front three of Bernardo <laughs> Silva, Sterling, Aguero? Were you watching that game, Oli? How did you find it when you were watching it when you had that attack against yours? Let's say again, the, the Champions League. The, the second leg one. Yeah. So you, you won 1-0 at um, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium when Son scored. Oh, yeah. And then there was no Harry Kane in your team as well. So you had yeah, to set up differently yeah. with Son and Moore up front and you had Rose, Trippier at the back. You had a really good defence at the time. But how did, oh, how did you kind of deal with that um, when you were watching it? How did you find um, Spurs kind of dealt with that? that <laughs> the truth is I'd have been watching that at like 4am. So <laughs> I'll be trying to keep my eyes open. And just uh, I was just there to celebrate the goals, man. Um, yeah, nervy game, nervy game, but... Yeah, when you when you when you got a reason to run down your hallway at four a.m., then oh, you know you no, know, it's a crazy game. <laughs> no, one... it's, it's always tough though, you know, when you when you're staying up late to watch these games, and then when you're you know a lot of the time you're not rewarded for following your team at like a stupid time. Mm-hmm. So when you know that game to, to be like watching it at four a.m. and then to see your team come out like that, unforgettable <laughs> stuff. Unforgettable indeed. And do you know why this one was unforgettable for, uh, for a negative way of looking at it from Sergio Aguero's point of view? Because he had two big, big opportunities in that tie. Um, so in that first leg, he had that penalty um, against Spurs and he missed. So he missed that chance of getting the away goal to make it 1-1 in the tie, if you remember as well, which, yeah, is, yeah. which is incredible. I think Laurie saved it or he missed it completely. And that second one, when Raheem Sterling scored, um, and he was doing, he's, Raheem Sterling had his own Aguero moment right there as well. And, <laughs> and VAR ruled it out because of Sergio Aguero being offside when you got the ball. That was incredible because you're just there kind of thinking it could have been Man City's year that year as well because they, yeah, yeah, they were looking stronger than Liverpool. And it was a year when both of them were going literally hammer and tongs every single week just to get, um, just to get the league and the Champions League. But I thought, realistically speaking, Literally, Sergio Aguero could have made it yeah. easier for him then, uh, winning the Champions League then against Chelsea in 2021. And uh, I, I always uh, like remember he was like heavily rotating against us, mm. and he was playing like um, what's the fella's name, Fabian Delph. Like, yeah, out of position, and and I, I don't think he took it seriously. You know, he he, di- he disregarded Spurs as being pushovers, but um, I think Pep, yeah, he gets it wrong in the Champions League with his uh. Selection. I think you, you've seen that in a number of years. And uh, yeah, I think that by the end of the day, that, that was the one that, that probably cost them the most, that first leg. I would say so as well. Because you're just uh, kind of looking at it thinking there's so much that they could have done in that season when they were looking like prime Manchester City. And every year we say they look better and better and better. But I thought at the time they had the right uh, blend of experience and youth and um, innovation as well in that side as well. And it was crazy to see how well they did. Um, but Tottenham Hotspur stopped them as well and VAR stopped them as well. So it was, it was good to yeah. see that they didn't, get, they didn't get that Champions League win. And um, yeah, 
that's our little roundup of Sergio Aguero being my footballing um, villain for, for this part of it. Oli, who would you like to bring to the table <laughs> of discussion? Who can top Sergio Aguero for you, if you have many that can top Sergio Aguero? Do you know what? Like, I have to go. You've, you've gone for a rivalry here. So mm. I'm going to have to pick one of our rivals. I don't even know why I'm saying this, but it was just the first name that came into my head. It's uh, Thomas Rosicki. <laughs> oh, my God. Rosicki. Oh, he hated Spurs. He hated Spurs. Like, he was, he had such passion and uh, desire against us. It was like, I never like even rated him that highly. Like, as a player, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people do or did, but <laughs> my word, Thomas Rosicki used to put a shift in against us. And oh, uh, you know what? I won't be able to tell you the year or the stage it was at, but a cup game and Rosicki's hit like an absolute beautiful one. I can't remember, was it half volley against us? Mm. Uh, oh my word, just stadium went silent, Arsenal fans going crazy. I had like the perfect view of it um, from the from the Paxton end. And uh, you could just you see the the like the the fans erupting and then you like hear it like a second later and your heart sinks. And I just remember that that goal from Rosicki. He just the feelings it gave me. <laughs> But for me, I'm putting him as my, my Ramadan villain, Thomas Rosicki. <laughs> Thomas Rosicki is someone who I thought never got the plaudits he deserved because he was always injured. It's him and Abu Diaby from Arsenal, who were really good Arsenal um, midfield-type players, but they were always injured. And they never got the plaudits they deserve as well. Because I remember um, Rosicki scored in like a 1-0 win against uh, Tottenham as well. I think it was in the league, 2013 or 14, at White Hart Lane, which was which was insane. Yeah, you're just, uh, he got big goals, he got big goals. He loved scoring against Arsenal. And it was some, uh, 2014, sorry, my mistake. But it was one of the things you're just kind of there thinking there's so much more that uh, Thomas Rosicki could have shown us because he was one of those first kind of players that came from Borussia Dortmund um, to the Premier League as well. So he actually brought such a, um, a great technical ability to the, to the Premier League as well. And I think that's something that Arsene Wenger appreciated in his play. It's just he would never be able to play consistent games and he was always injured and it was never someone who you could end up hanging your hat on as well. So that's the kind of yeah. reason when you're just there thinking there's so much more to Thomas Rosicki than meets the eye as well. And what, what you'd see from Thomas Rosicki is uh, amazing ball play, amazing balance. Uh, his sense of gravity was... Techie, yeah. yeah, it was techie. He's, for, a, for a taller fellow, his centre of gravity wasn't appreciated as, as well as it was. But I remember that goal as well. There's a goal, um, at one nil goal, I think it was one of them things where it just bounces off his foot. He has that half body and he just scores and you're just there like... <laughs> the audacity to take this on as well was fantastic and I remember him scoring against uh, Arsenal at the Emirates well, for Arsenal at the Emirates as well and it's someone that you, you can appreciate but you can also hate obviously from being a rival point of view as well. <laughs> he just never liked Spurs he, he was just a classic Arsenal player as well and you're just there yeah. thinking there's so much more to Thomas Rosicki than meets the eye um, in going yeah. forward with it as well proper, proper Guna like proper Guna player but uh... Yeah, as you said about his injuries, like, obviously, it's, it's a shame when anyone gets injured and it, and it stops that development, because I mm -hmm. think we're seeing that a lot in the modern game, where you see a lot of injuries um, from, you know, having a game every three days, the hot topic among all the managers, uh, you know, players' welfare. And I think it is a shame, you know, when these players, again, like having careers plagued by injuries, and I wonder how much it, it does a... Uh, 
attribute to the fact that they're having uh, like a game, two games every week. Yeah, and even with the, the not even the proper recovery time as well in the summers as well. Like some of them where you have like five weeks off in a whole year and then they'll be back to pre-season, they'll be back to football and they'll be back to consistently playing two, three times in the week as well, which is, which is quite sad to see because you're just there thinking as a consumer, it's great, but you still want to see the best of um, a player and the best ability possible as opposed to just them playing for the sake of playing as well. So you can kind of understand from that point of view of Klopp and Tuchel and even Ragnik in terms of like, there's too many games, the players are always tired. It's not great for the, for the, for the players and for the recovery staff as well. Gets, gets a bit too much, I would imagine, as well. But if you were to have Thomas Rosicki in, in any Arsenal era, Oli, do you reckon he'd be end up he'd be in that starting eleven, or do you reckon he'd, he'd always be like a kind of end of Arsene Wenger's era type player? Do you reckon he could have made it in any type of other Arsenal team? <laughs> no, I honestly don't think he uh, had the, the quality to fit in like a, the eleven. Mm. Um, it's, it's just hard to say, really, because you never got to see him have a go but you know when you look at like their best team of the Prem I, I, I don't think he would really get, get close to it Yeah. but just at that time you know when the, the, the two teams were so close you know the, the, as Arsenal started to fall off and, and Spurs were suddenly finding a voice for themselves in Europe battling to get into the Champions League you know that sort of period in our rivalry when you when you saw players have that passion for their club and uh and when they like Van der Vaart, for example, he had the passion for us. Yeah. And he's, a, I'm sure some Arsenal fans would say he's a villain, you know, because he used to go past, you know, he'd score a goal at White Hart Lane and he'd go shush the Arsenal fans. Just, mm. it's, it's just things like that, that that makes them a villain, you know. Yeah, it's, it's what sticks them out in your mind as well, um, which is one of those things. And you want to see more of that as well. And that's kind of someone, that's the next person I wanted to speak to um, you guys about. Again, it's not, it's not, it's not really a big villain. It's just one of these people you just don't want to see on a football pitch against you because you know he can terrorise you. When I, when I say it like that, he is a big villain. It's, it's Luis Suarez. Luis Suarez would come <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, my Especially days. if he bites you, then he's a proper villain. Yeah, you don't want to contract he, anything uh, from Luis Suarez. No, he's a villain just because, you know, just the, the way he plays, same like someone, perhaps Diego Costa. They're just... Mm. They're just villains, and that's what makes them so good. Exactly. Horrible opponents to be against. Old-fashioned South American-type footballers as well, and you love to see it. It's so good to see it. I know Diego Costa plays for Spain, but he's got that Brazilian in him as well. Yeah. I'd like to throw in Didier Drogba as well, actually, because, you know, we've obviously, at the time of recording, uh, we've just lost to Chelsea Mm. 2-0, and it just, uh, just reminds me of the days when Chelsea used to take Six points of us every season, no problem. We're, we're back to those days. Unfortunately, and, uh, that reminds me of Didier Drogba because he was he was probably the guy who was responsible for most of our losses during uh, during his time. <laughs> yeah, it's one win in thirty years at Stamford Bridge, I think, for Spurs as well. And the fact that Frank Lampard recently said as well, he used to call White Hart Lane Three Point Lane. It just shows the disrespect is there from Chelsea, and they're just there like. We mentioned at the beginning. We mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, Sergio Aguero is in the top three uh, foreign strikers in Premier League history. Now, now this is where it's going to get interesting because I mentioned Suarez. We'll get to Suarez after Drogba, but would you agree with me or would you disagree that I've got in my top three 
I've got Thierry Henry, I've got Sergio Aguero, and I've got Didier Drogba. Then, because mm. I, I haven't even uh, factored in Cantona, I haven't factored in Suarez. Um, there's a lot I couldn't, I couldn't factor in. But I'm just thinking those three are like top tier foreign yeah, yeah, yeah. strikers no, as well. Yeah. Just like, like, like there's a multiple of clubs that would that could uh, put them in the list of of villains. You know they've done dirty to so many clubs, <laughs> so many teams. Let's talk about Didier Drogba. Oh God, this guy was the biggest big game player I'd ever seen because he was never uh, a Thierry Henry or an Andy Colwell, be scoring consistently 20, 30 goals a season. Sometimes you get 15, sometimes you get 25, and you just never know what kind of Didier Drogba you get that season because. The managers would be changing every other year for Chelsea. They'd be having different systems, different ways of playing. And you were just there thinking, like, which DDA Drogba are you going to get when, when it comes against you? Because the amount of times that Arsene Wenger would say, DDA Drogba only comes up, he didn't really do, uh, do much against us. And Drogba, I think you re- responded by saying, yeah, but I scored two against them. So it doesn't matter if I didn't score much um, or do much in, in the game against them as well. How did you feel as a Tottenham fan whenever you'd face up against Didier Drogba? So let's let's take um let's take when he, when he played against you in the four I think it's a four four game in two thousand eight and he scored that amazing goal on the half turn as well. How did you feel as a Spurs fan um, watching Didier Drogba? Oh, this guy, man, <laughs> Didier Drogba. No, like you mentioned, like different managers might not be able to get the best out of him, but as a Spurs fan. I don't. I don't think there was ever a game where you weren't fearful of him because mm. he's a yeah. I can't remember. Was it the League Cup, League Cup final when he scored some filthy goal? Like, oh God! Just absolute filth, and he just do that against Spurs, man. Like back to goal, and then he smashed it in the roof of the net. We just we couldn't cope with him. Like I would have been watching Spurs at that time. You know, we'd have Michael Dawson at the back and. You know, Drogba v Michael Dawson doesn't matter. Any manager, <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna run riot. And I just feel like that guy was always a problem. Yeah, my my Drogba god! Villain. If I was a Chelsea fan at that time, I would have just been licking my lips when you're looking at Didier Drogba versus the likes of Michael Dawson versus the likes of Ledley King or Jonathan Woodgate versus the likes of like Wes Brown or John O'Shea at the back for us as well. Even with Arsenal, who are losing their their main centre backs as well, they're like. Um, who did they have? They had like Colo Torre coming to the end of his time at Arsenal. They had um, Lauren Koscielny coming through, Thomas V. Marlon coming through as well. And these weren't your, uh, your, your classic, besides the Tottenham ones that I just mentioned, they weren't your classic uh, cent- uh, Premier League centre-back. So they were more quick, they're more agile, but they didn't have the strength to cope with Didier Drogba when he had his back to goal. So someone like um, Rio Ferdinand or the Manu Vidic, whenever they were fit, they'd be able to um, take him on. But even then... When you're looking at how we started in the Premier League as a 24 million signing from uh, Marseille, and uh, Jose Mourinho could have signed any striker in world football at the time. And he's like, no, get me Didier Drogba from Marseille. Oh, that's a very nice story. That yes, it's a good story. I think he was, telling, he was telling it recently, not recently, a while back, but we just see that, those clips all the time on social media of him. No, Mr. Abramovich, pay the money for Didier Drogba. Let me worry about the football. Like, just be yeah. quiet and pay. And... Uh- I think um I think it I think it came out during his time at Spurs, you know. He mm. probably got fed up with Levy. Yeah. You know, not giving him the power. So he probably like resurfaced it or something. Or like, w- the media, or the media dug it out. You know, it's the case where Levy was not backing him financially. 
you need to back Jose Mourinho because if he knows the players to get to get the best out of your team, it is proven. Inter Milan, uh, Chelsea, multiple times. Porto, of course, that wasn't really a checkbook thing, but he did so well with the team there as well. Uh, Man United, he did it in that first season when he got us uh, the three trophies. Yeah. But back to Didier Drogba, Oli. When you're looking at him, do you kind of miss that type of striker that we have in the Premier League? Because you don't really see many strikers out and out that would play. Because for some of the, for some of that time under Jose Mourinho and under I think Carlo Ancelotti as well, they play with two up top, which is quite which is quite fascinating to see. Because you're just there like Didier Drogba would be enough uh, for two defenders to handle, let alone for two strikers to be with him. Because he'd had like Nicholas Anelka by his side, he'd have like some Solomon Kalou by his side sometimes as well. Mm. Majeta Kesman, he tried it with. Fernando Torres, he tried it with. Andrei Shevchenko, he tried it with as well. But <laughs> it was more with his, his link-up play with Anelka that sticks out to me personally when he was playing as a, as a two as opposed to a one. Yeah, okay. But how do you kind of see that? Did you kind of see any way or any kind of play that really stopped him? Because for Man United, he scored in the FA Cup final in extra time. He broke our hearts. Um, <laughs> in the Champions League final, we got sent off. Um, so he didn't get to take penalties where we ended up winning. And I, I still think that was a contributing factor when you have John Terry taking the final penalty instead of Didier Drogba, mm-hmm. um, which a couple of years later in 2012, he ended up doing. And he ended up winning the Champions League for Chelsea as well. Multiple, as a serial winner. But can you really remember a defender? Because I can't, that had him no, in his no. pocket. No, I would say like, I think, I think he just uh, is a really special player. Mm. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons is because I don't recall anyone ever, you know, sticking him in the pocket, as to say. And, uh, yeah, always in the big moments. And you know, I think that's, that's what matters when you, when you want to win the, the Cups, he's the guy who's there. So, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone could stop him. If, he's, if, he's, if he gets the opportunity, then he'll take it. And sometimes you can be a, as good a defender as Nemanja Vidic. But if he gets the opportunity then, you know, luck's on his side. Mm. If he gets that one chance of scoring. I think it's literally like probably Vincent Company's probably up there, but that was when Drogba's time was yeah, coming to an end thing, in yeah. the Premier League. It's, it's Vincent when, Company. Mm, Vincent Company kind of had all the attributes to uh, combat Didier Drogba at the time. And even when he came back to the Premier League after his stint at Galatasaray, um, it was great to see him play. It wasn't great when he scored against Man United at Old Trafford. Um, but realistically speaking, we kind of expect that DJ Drogba with Jose Mourinho as manager um, coming and scoring, and you're just like, kind of thinking, yeah. that's how it is, really. No, Fantastic I mean, player like, in the A. When we speak about villains, you know, we got we got to stick Mourinho in as well, just as being being a manager. I know he's not a player, but <laughs> he managed he was... both of our clubs as well. That's the thing. Yeah, it's crazy, and both clubs sacked him because. Uh, I don't know, un- underachieving, but did they back him? I don't know. We definitely didn't back him because he... he yeah, we definitely didn't back him. He said things recently in terms of like... Well, not recently, but when he left, he said that Martial is a lazy striker. You can't hang your hat on him. So Paul Pogba isn't um, someone that you can rely upon as well. He's not a great uh, influence in the dressing room. He said mm-hmm. Luke Shaw is someone who's inconsistent and doesn't use his head uh, quite <laughs> as much. And he said you can't rely on Marcus Rashford to be your main striker. So he said that... And what, three, four years after his left, it still rings yeah. true. It's just yeah. the fact that I mentioned it recently on a podcast. I think it's when uh, when players are paid more than managers or their influence, uh, influence, uh, their, their influence is more than the manager. That shows that the board have their priorities in terms of um, who do you sack and who do you keep. 
definitely. I think with Daniel Levy, he should have really put his hand in his pocket and backed Jose Mourinho and got rid of some of the players that he didn't need. Because ah, it would have made, exactly. would have made it so much easier as well. Especially um, when you saw how, how badly Nuno did and how Conte is even struggling, you know. So, yeah, I think you can't really criticise Mourinho too much when, you know, the, the tools he's been given. It's just insanity, really, because you're looking at doing the same process again and again and again. And if you can't do it, then it, it doesn't really work as well, unfortunately. Um, but no, last, last villain we need to talk about whilst we're on this little um, topic of conversation is Luis Suarez. Uh, the former Liverpool player who, <laughs> at this time speaking, has been linked with Aston Villa, a reunion with Stephen Gerrard. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. If, if that happens in the summer and he goes to uh, Villa Park, I will just, I'll be fearful for my life because, um, funny story, when I went to watch Man United versus Barcelona a couple of years ago in the Champions League, Luis Suarez was the one who scored. It was counted as a sure on goal. But when you're seeing Luis Suarez celebrate by himself at Old Trafford <laughs> and giving it to the fans, yeah, it's, that's it's, what... It's That's disgusting. By, by Rosicky, you know, when they're giving it to the fans. <laughs> uh, but we gave, we gave it to him all game and, and people were like, oh yeah, but we gave it to Suarez all game. I'm like, it doesn't matter. We lost the game for goodness sake. It doesn't matter who, if, because they don't care. They, they won the game and they got through um, to the next round. But it's, it's exactly what you were saying, Oli, before. When, when, you give it to, when, the, when they give it to the fans, they kind of do it in a, in a pantomime villain type way. So that's why I thought it would be, <laughs> be fun to talk to you about it. But... Luis Suarez, Oli, what's your th- uh, first thoughts on him? How well did you uh, combat Luis Suarez as, as a Spurs team? Did you combat him or was he just too too tricky to get past? Um, who did you have in defence at the time? Kabul, Fezio? Yeah, I would have had, I'm, sure he did, I'm sure he did damage to us, man. Yeah, we'd have had Chiriches. We'd have a, a whole different uh, cocktail of defenders trying to stop him. Mm. <laughs> um no, yeah, again, like we're speaking about Drogba, he's, he's a special player. And I, I remember there were some like, like transfer uh, links with him and Spurs uh, to see him go to Liverpool when Spurs and Liverpool were not doing their best, you know, like Liverpool back then. Mm-hmm. They, were, they, were, they weren't the powerhouse they are today. And uh, again, up with Aguero, you know, a player who really bought them up a tier. And... Uh, I, don't, I can't really remember what he did against Spurs, but I'm sure he did dirty things. <laughs> he's another guy that screams hat-trick. You know, he's a, Aguero, you think, of a guy who's scoring hat-tricks. Suarez is a guy who's scoring hat-tricks. So, uh, do, you know, do you know what made it um, funny for me in that season when he was with uh, Brendan Rodgers and uh, Raheem Sterling, Coutinho and Daniel Sturridge? There was that graphic that came out when you were playing against uh, Liverpool and Luis Suarez, where Luis Suarez was actually compared against Spurs Andre Villa <laughs> Suarez was first. So it was like 11 goals, you know, 11 games, 17 goals. And Spurs were like 16 games, 15 goals. And you're just there like, that's wild how someone like that can be compared to a club and how they're actually doing it. It's not like it's against like a Norwich or a, or a Blackburn or one of those type of clubs. It's actually a, a decent club at the time as well. Yeah. Uh, wasn't it? Was it Norwich actually that he used to guarantee Patrick against? That's what I mentioned. Right. I he, uh, he was like the hat trick. <laughs> I don't. I don't even want to celebrate it. But there was that amazing half volley goal at Anfield. Do you remember that um, when he scored from like the halfway line? Perhaps, man. If I saw it, it would ring a bell. I'll send it to you later because he did one at. Um, yeah. He did one at Anfield, and he did one at Carrow Road, where he basically like 
I think he chipped the keeper. It was like something stupid, but it's like <laughs> such a such a surreal striker to have. And if you were a Liverpool fan at the time, you were buzzing about Luis Suarez. But for me, him being a villain, there's so much to talk about in in terms of villainy. The fact that he bit uh, Branislav Ivanovic, the fact that he went out and bit um, was it Chiellini in the World Cup? The fact that um, he was caught. Uh, he was found guilty of racially abusing uh, Patrice Evra as well. Yeah, that whole scandal. He's a scumbag, actually. But he, he does look like he, he's changed the corner, you know, when, when you... I know your social media doesn't paint a good picture of a person, but mm. he doesn't seem like to have that streak in him anymore where it seems like he did get some sort of... some help off field to control whatever anger issues he was uh, hiding in with, within him. Yeah, I enjoyed that, to be fair, because you're seeing a lot of people nowadays when they're like, oh, I throw the book at him, he should be banned, and this, that, and the other. But when you can actually see a changed person and a developed person, it's good to see, even though I hated him as a footballer and watching him play. And like I said before, it was like Sturridge and Suarez scoring more goals than like Everton and Southampton and being compared <laughs> to like Man United and Chelsea in terms of how many goals they scored that season. It was mm. ridiculous, man. And I think I think Luis Suarez not winning a Premier League. I'm happy about it, but I think it may have been one of the biggest injustices in Liverpool's Premier League history. Because yeah. you're looking at it, of all the players that didn't win a, a Premier League, you're kind of thinking of Gerard and Suarez at the time. Yeah. And that's yeah. what <clears throat> Carragher as well. I think I think I think they definitely deserved the one in the season they slipped. You know, I was mm. kind of rooting for them back in the day. I were... wasn't. Yeah, I'm sure you are. But for, for me, I don't know. It's just when you when you know it's it's not going to be like a main rival like Chelsea back then, or mm. uh, you're bored of seeing Manu winning it. It would have been nice to to see Gerard lift it because he he's been he's a you know he's a legend for the country and all. But same with Suarez, yeah. Guide guide for him that he didn't didn't pick one up, but he went on to to achieve great things. Yeah. It was, it was great to see how Luis Suarez has actually changed and how he did really well for um, Atletico Madrid last season to win them La Liga yeah, as well. Yeah. Which <laughs> Barcelona letting them win. Barcelona literally gave them a league when yeah. they handed it and to Luis Suarez <laughs> as well. Oh, no. But no, this this was a good conversation regarding our footballing villains. So we've, we've mentioned quite a few, to be fair. And um, yeah, who did we go for? We, we've gone for Sergio Aguero, Didier Drogba, Big villain. Big Thomas Rizicki. And then we've got um, a small-time villain. We've got Luis Suarez, another big-time villain, featuring big Jose time. Mourinho as well. It's quite nice. <laughs> yeah, Mourinho, big-time big villain, even though he managed us. <laughs> and he managed us as well. It's like, it, it, things that he says come true. It's just, I feel like in the media, he just got portrayed as a villain in, in a way as well. His football was villainous to play against yeah. as well. Could never get past Respect. him, but... Respect me. <laughs> football heritage. This is literally it. It's football heritage, but... Yeah, Oli, just to finish off, Aguero, Suarez or Drogba? Rank them best to worst. Start, bench, sell. <laughs> sell, you know, I've got to sell one of these, men. got to sell one. You've got to sell one. Uh, all right, let me try to try do it quick. Uh, nah, take, be... take as long as you need to because it's, it's, a, it's a big one as well. It's a big one. I don't even I'm know like... who I'm going to sell, but I know who I'm starting. Oh, yeah. For me, it's Aguero. I'm, I'm starting Aguero just because mm. uh, I think it, what he did for the club really uh, really like, lifted them up a level. Um, Didier Drogba, just because he's uh, in a rival team and I just remember him scoring goals that, you know, I was there live and it would 
really breaks your heart, right? I know the feeling. For me, like, uh, I'll stick him on the bench. I don't think I'd want to sell him. And I would get rid of Suarez, although he did amazing things for Liverpool, like uh, kind of like Aguero did, where he lifted them up. Mm. Uh, at the same time, <laughs> my guy was biting Chiellini, so get, get out of it. <laughs> no need for that as well. No, I, that, that was my thought process as well. I was thinking you've got to start Aguero. Um, because there was that time when all of them were in the Premier League as well. I think 2014, 2015. Uh, 2014, they were here as well, I think. No, 20, no, 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 they weren't. That's, that's a lie. 2014, Aguero, Suarez were in the league. And Suarez left um, to Barcelona. And then Drogba came in in 2015. So it wasn't the case. But no. Um, start Sergio Aguero. You couldn't not start Sergio Aguero for everything he's done for Manchester City and in the Premier League. And the amount of big goals that he scored in these big games as well. Um, realistically, one of the most amazing talents to watch on, on a Premier League pitch in the last 10 years. But unfortunately, he played for Manchester City, so I couldn't enjoy him mostly. Maybe against Liverpool. Maybe against Liverpool, I could enjoy him when he's, when he's playing or against Chelsea, but realistically, couldn't really enjoy watching him play. I can appreciate him, but I can enjoy it. Uh, I'm going to agree with you. Didier Drogba, another big game player, someone who... Um, for me personally, at the time, he really broke through a lot of barriers about African footballers as well, playing for big clubs and um, being reliable as well. And I appreciated that a lot, a lot as well, because you're seeing nowadays the likes of Mohamed Salah, uh, Sadio Mane, Riyad Mahrez, uh, Edouard Mendy as well. Uh, we've seen a lot more of that as well. I think him and Colo Torre, when they came through uh, in their big clubs respectively, and they, they, they won leagues, they won... Um, well, DJ Drogba won a Champions League as well at FA Cup multiple times. Uh, Big game player. Got to have DJ Drogba in that team. And I would sell Luis Suarez um, mainly because the other two weren't convicted of being racist people and it didn't back. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, I don't want to reward him for anything. He's a proper villain. He's someone that I don't like. And like you said before, it rings, it rings true to me when you're watching him in the stadium celebrate against your team and you're just there like this guy, man. <laughs> Just don't like him at all. A fantastic yeah, footballer, uh, just a proper villain right there, Luis Suarez. But <laughs> yeah, I think that would be it. But no, that was a good little episode um, to start off our little mini series of Ramadan villains. So, Oli, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you. And Eid Mubarak. <laughs> Eid Mubarak when it comes out as well, four weeks from now, hopefully, at the time of recording. Not at the time of recording, at the time of this comes out as well. But Everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, take care. Enjoy your Ramadan and see you later. That's right.